We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, and I'm joined as ever by Mr. Simon Howell. Simon, how are you holding up? Pretty good. I've been awake for 25 hours. I've got about 12 to go. I'm on my last school suicide run of <laughs> getting papers done and trying not to die. Actually, I'm, I'm holding up pretty well. Mostly, I have had probably about a gram of caffeine. Oh, that would that would do it. At least help, you know. <laughs> yes. I, assuming assuming I don't die. Yes. That's, that's key. That's fairly important uh, when you're balancing the cost-benefit mm -hmm. analysis. We have a bunch of shows to talk about. A lot of good TV this week, I would say. Yes. I would nothing mind blowing, nothing like transcendent, but a lot of good stuff, I think. Well, you know, a lot of discussion about what our spotlight was going to be because there were several things in contention, unlike last week where we just skipped it. Yes. And it's nice to spotlight. It's always nice to spotlight some sci-fi, which we don't get to do all that often because sci-fi is spotty these days. I'm not going to lie. Before we get into the rest of our our our, our shows for this week, uh, I will mention that we got a comment from Mario at the website. Mario, thanks very much for leaving your thoughts. He was talking about Smash, um, and uh, one of the things he said he, is that he enjoys Raza Joffrey, uh, who plays Dev, and uh, he knows him from MI5, but that he needs more to do. And I'm I'm with Mario on this. I know you are not a fan of that character. Nope. <laughs> Now, is it is your problem the character or the actor? It's one of those things where I'm finding it difficult to tell. Like, I'm, I'm, we'll get to Smash later, but just the way the character's written, he's just so insufferable. And I, it's one, one of my pet peeves is TV couples who would be okay if they just talked to each other. And it's just like mm -hmm. a script contrivance that they don't talk to each other. A yeah. constant contrivance. And it's just, it's one of my least favorite tropes. And the fact that both of those characters are stuck there makes me not like either of them. So we'll get into that more when we talk about yeah, this we'll, we'll, we'll this week's uh, episode. But uh, so some some fun thought there or interesting thoughts there from Mario. Uh, I talked with Keith a bunch on Twitter about Supernatural. It looks like season eight is is likely to happen now. So we were talking about that and also about whether or not they pulled off their apocalypse storyline. And uh, I thought they did. Keith had some trouble with it, but that was that was fun talking about. It. And then I also want to mention. That uh, Ken was, was talking about the Justified finale, and he decided that clearly what should happen is everybody sits down and talks about their feelings over tea and crumpets. Hashtag Downton Hollow. So I think that would ah, be... Ah, yes. That would be subversive. It would be fun. I could see them pulling that off with the most intense cup of tea ever. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously it's going to be it's gonna be half Bushmills. I mean, they kind of did that last year. Actually, what am I saying? Bushmills. It's going to be half like Maker's Mark. 
<laughs> Good times. Uh, we didn't get any reviews on iTunes uh, or ratings, that is, this week, but we do have a lot of fun stuff mm. up at the website. I still have uh, my, my Bechdel article is up there. I haven't gotten any comments on it yet. I was hoping to get some feedback from, from people because uh, I've gotten some nice words from people on Twitter who enjoyed the article. But if if you are interested in you know gender politics and women on TV, I, I would be very curious to hear what you thought about um, the the fact that so many shows on TV passed the Bechdel, but just barely, uh, mm -hmm. which, which was interesting, at least to me. Um, and then I also just put up my top baseball episodes inspired somewhat by the, the, uh, the coming series finale of Eastbound and Down and the fact that baseball season is up, uh, it up and started for a few weeks now. Do, is baseball a thing in Canada? Do you guys do baseball? We do. It's not as big a thing as it is in the States. I mean, it's no hockey, but it's a thing. <laughs> Okay. Okay. And we have plenty of reviews going up as well uh, for your Game of Thrones reviews, my Fringe and Supernatural and Vampire Diaries reviews, Mad Men, mm -hmm. uh, Amazing Race and Survivor, any number of shows we're, we're and reviewing at the time. And come hell or high water, no matter what it is that I have to do today. I am writing a justified finale review, and it's <laughs> going to be up as early as humanly possible. And I look forward to it being decidedly and entertainingly loopy when you're uh, at that point of your non-sleep cycle. Yeah, I'm just going to start talking about my Timothy Oliphant dreams. It's going <laughs> to get weird. And then the last thing I'll mention is, of course, you're going to Tribeca. Yes, I'm going to New York next week, uh, hopefully well-rested. And also, when I get there, I'm, I'm going on a 50-kilometer walk. For some reason, don't ask me why I do these things. I just I decide they have to happen, and then they're happening. So that's a good way I'm, to do it. Now, now my legs have to deal with it. So yeah, <laughs> you should be in for some fun. Uh, we'll have to compare notes after my marathon and your marathon walk, and see how how, how we're feeling and how whether or not you decide you're going to do another one of these next time you visit a, a new city. Oh, I probably will, no matter what happens, because I'm just <laughs> that full of spite. <laughs> Oh, so you just hate your legs and uh, want to make Pretty them much, suffer. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. They're uh, paying for my sins. <laughs> At the end of the podcast, we are we got to talk with Derek Gladue from the Sound Outside Doctor Who podcast about Brass Eye, which was so much fun. It's such a uh, it's one of those discovery shows for me. I would never have heard of it if it wasn't yeah. for for it, the television. It's so it's so good that I would venture to call it the anti Doctor Who. See, you, you, you're trying to rile me up there, but I, I just, I'm going to sidestep your expectations and note that you haven't seen it, so you can't possibly pass legitimate judgment mm -hmm. on it. Oh, uh, who said anything about legitimacy? <laughs> I will mention, though, that I was a guest on the Sound Insight Doctor Who podcast, which was so much fun. We talked, uh, actually, for a couple different episodes. I, I joined uh, the discussion for talking about the Seventh and Eighth Doctors, so you can find that at Sound Insight if you're curious, or in the Sound Insight Doctor Who podcast feed in iTunes. And also, I, I got to talk with the, the guys from Masterpiece Cinema about Fantasia, and I think that's going up this coming week. Though you know, barring technical issues, we don't don't quote me on that necessarily. But that that was a lot mm. of fun uh, talking with Josh and Michael and Gabe. All right, sounds good to me. Yeah, so let's let's jump into our week in TV and uh, let's kick things off with Justified Coalition. Once again, usurped. <laughs> yeah, usurped the from spotlight. the spotlight. Yeah, and I know there are a lot of TV critics out there who are far more mixed on this season than we are. And I'm curious, and even the guys that previously on, for example, hated this episode. And so I know from your review 
that you enjoyed it. And I'm curious uh, what you have to say to that. Well, you know, it's really difficult to judge even this episode without knowing what exactly they're going to do with all this next week. But I do appreciate a few things. I, I, le- I really like what they've done with Arlo this season because he's such a bastard that it, it's really it's been really hard work for them to get us to sympathize with him at all. And I think they've actually, at least for me, pulled that off. And I think just pulling that gambit of having Helen appear, which is something that's totally unprecedented for stylistically for the show, just to have that subjective viewpoint. I thought that was kind of brilliant. And I mean, I'm a, I'm slightly disappointed that the, the sense of randomness that's sort of been fueling the last few episodes is, is kind of gone because now, you know, there's only so many ways that last episode is going to play out. Maybe like three, you know, you can kind of guess who's a goner at this point, but you know, that's better than having an unwieldy finale where that isn't satisfying. So I don't know. It, it all kind of hinges on next week, but I, I, I like that Quarles and, and Arlo are still out there and are still sort of these uh, chaotic elements floating around. And, you know, as sad as I am that Dickie won't be kicking around for the finale, although he's clearly not dead, um, you know, I, I, I'm still reasonably satisfied with the episode. Yeah, I, I, um, I actually, I think I'm on the other side of the quarrels thing from you at this point, uh, just in that I think I would have preferred it if he had been eliminated in this episode. I mean, I don't think anybody expects him to get away from the season to to be one of the few walking out of the rubble uh but but his his dual escapes were just a bit much for me the first one was clearly telegraphed that was just a stupid bonehead Mm -hmm. move by uh but by Boyd. boyd yeah totally um which a little bit too much of a bonehead move for me yeah and and i can see people having issues with that uh but for me the bigger problem was the end of episode uh surprise i guess with uh his escape though i i will say i really enjoyed how they've expanded tom's role that the state police guy um over mm-hmm. the really subtly over the course of the season where we've gotten to know him so that we really mm-hmm. feel that loss um as for and you've got to be excited about win getting his mojo back yeah we'll see uh where that where that goes i loved i gotta say i loved boyd's reaction to win's recounting of the theotonin story <laughs> <laughs> what did he tell the yeah. air? <laughs> That's just such a oh, so, so delightful. Uh, though for, for me, one of the things that really worked, while there were some people acting stupider than maybe they should have in this episode, was that there are these. I love that the 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 twist. I mean, I, for me, I didn't figure out that the money wasn't in the bank until after all of the other characters figured it out. Uh, which, mm-hmm. of course, doesn't always make me feel so smart. But I love that all of our criminal masterminds figured it out, except Dickie, because he's just stupid. Mm-hmm. And Ray- Raylan's sort of, like, dressing down of, of Dickie is both really brutal and totally, sorry, justified. <laughs> and that was another great moment for me. Bringing back uh, Loretta, and I assume that is yeah. where the, legitimately where the money actually is, and that uh, uh, Limehouse was just manipulating the situation afterwards when he said that he still had it. Uh, I think that was a really elegant solution. I don't know why it hadn't occurred to me, but it makes complete sense. So, mm-hmm. uh, so, so, so I think that was a nice way to handle that. For me, the biggest uh, question mark going into the finale is Arlo 
and uh, he's the total and wild basically card. Basically, for me, it's it's who's going to kill Arlo. And to me, the most interesting two possibilities are Boyd and Raylan. And to me, either of those is, you know, is, is could be interesting going forward. I just, I'd prefer it not to be a third party like Quarles. I don't but. know. I don't know that I see him dying. I guess it would make sense. But I think there's more story in Raylan having to deal with a delusional or, or a, a Alzheimer's-y father in coming seasons so we'll, we'll see what happens maybe with that. You, you you could be right i just don't i i don't see him getting out of it but but you know i've been wrong almost all the time so yeah we'll, we'll have to we'll have to see where it goes um after that we had new girls secrets which was a lot of fun for me uh what did you think of this episode i'm trying to decide exactly when new girl became the best live action sitcom on television and i don't know exactly when it happened but boy I was just, I, I, I was watching this in a public library and I was having a really hard time not just cracking up. I mean, right from the, from the opening gag with Schmidt and the couch, <laughs> it, I, I, it's just really hitting on all cylinders right now. And I, I, this isn't something I would have thought I'd be saying, you know, two and a half, three months ago. So kudos to Elizabeth Merriweather and all those people. I, I thought, I think especially, I think that's, this might actually be my favorite episode of the show so far. Yeah, it, it was really funny, and I mean, people who've been listening to the show for a while can can remember back. I didn't like the pilot; I actively disliked it. I was really annoyed by it. So I'm I'm yep, so glad I that I, you know, checked back in and have stuck with the show because it's gotten really damn funny. And uh, I I think that one of the things that's really uh, worked well in the more recent episodes is they've expanded all of the the roommates' roles as opposed to just going to Schmidt for the for the laugh because you know Max yeah. Greenfield's so reliable but but the the bits we get with Winston this week are hilarious and uh his his monologue <laughs> to the end is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was really glad to see the reestablishment of the CC and Jess dynamic this week and uh and and watching them actually interact considering how much CC's on the show there's been a very little of that recently so that was that was nice mm -hmm. and the last thing i'll mention is really just three hours for a 10k that's that's <laughs> only six miles you could walk that you could walk that at a leisurely pace in two hours so that was kind of ridiculous i don't know if that was supposed to be a joke but i assume it was supposed to be funny that they took them over yeah. three hours suck for it up a 10K. jess come on well and it's clear to me at least that she's that Zoe Deschanel is still the weak link mm -hmm. out of the ensemble, which is which is surprising because she's the one with the most acting experience. But you know that doesn't necessarily mean you're the best person to have around on a sitcom. But you know, but but I think they've improved her to some degree as well. I mean, she's certainly nowhere near as irritating as she was in the early episodes. So yes, it is definitely it's definitely most improved the season for me. Yeah. Now, we uh, also checked in with the happy endings finale, four weddings and a funeral, minus three weddings and one funeral. Now, you had uh, broken up with the show, but you che checked back in for this finale. What did you think? Yeah, I accidentally um, watched the last two episodes, actually, because I watched the second to last thinking it was the last and then realized that I had pulled a boner. So then I watched the finale. And I kind of feel the same way that I did about it when I broke up with it, which is that it's perfectly acceptable, but kind of just floats right past for me still way too much mugging and 
I guess people find that the the funny voices and and abbreviations, you know, really charming and quirky. And for me, that's just it's just too much. And you know, and also, of course, because it's a season finale of a show that involves you know friends who are also exes, we have sort of this romantic reconciliation, which doesn't interest me at all. Well, I do like uh, though that with with that element to the storyline. I like that how how much of that is a question mark and that I like that the characters aren't really sure where they're at, but that they're okay with not being sure where they're at. There are no declarations of love or anything like that. It's just, you know, an acknowledgement that it's sort of a question, question, but also a sort of a uh, maybe. Well, we do have declarations of love, though, just not between them. Who? Oh, oh, yes, they say that they love each other, but not uh, as far as I was concerned, that didn't necessarily mean romantically, uh, and just sort of sparked the question of should they, that couple, get together, mm-hmm. but uh, we'll we'll see where it goes. I guess I can't help but compare it and New Girl, because they're they're both so similar in the sense of both essentially being hangout comedies, but, you know, a bunch of attractive young men and women, or, you know, mostly attractive... <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't know. I, I to me the the character dynamics on New Girl are just so much more interesting, and the comic rhythms and the ensemble in general. So it, I don't know. I I think it they, for me it's just been suffering in comparison. I I, I definitely like this more than you did. Uh, I like the Skype table. I loved Alex's attempt to come up with a couple's name for Derek and Eric, with absolutely no success, of course, because you can't. It doesn't work. Um. I, I liked the, that they have fired Brad, and so that will create a new dynamic with he and Jane and uh, force some, at least some amount of change to the show. Um, Mandana worked for me not as much as for other people, though. By the way, it's not that hard. Duh, Eric squared. Boom. Yeah, but that's not as, that's not as easy. It doesn't just roll off the... But Derek squared... That Derek squared is pretty good, though. I will give you that. That's better Thank than anything you. I would Thank come you. up with. <laughs> let's uh, let's move on. And uh, I saw the Best Friends Forever pilot, which I would will just briefly say I think is very flawed. It's it's not terrible. I like the central relationships between both the two female friends and then the the one female friend and her boyfriend. Um, I feel like it's trying a bit too hard, though. And there's a re- ridiculously annoyingly precocious child oh uh, in I there those. yeah a sassy child who uh, uh who tells it like it is and gets 30 uh, year olds to get into a squabbling fight with her because that's the mature way to act around a child um can you please can your next article be about precocious children on television and how they all need to be thrown into a ditch I I don't know. I'm thinking maybe my next article needs to be about the the war between good and bad teenage characters on television. But yeah, I haven't committed to that, so don't uh, don't hold me to it yet. But yeah, there, there's definitely precocious child alert for me when I'm watching these pilots. Um, I do think there's a lot of truth to the central uh, female uh, friendship, and there's a lot of potential. For, for storylines, if only based on the fact that one of the characters is so very defined. Uh, she she basically becomes a new, a different person when she's hanging out with her friend versus her boyfriend, which is not a good 
way to behave, <laughs> not a good way to define yourself. Um, but it just, it wasn't funny enough for me to come back. So we'll see if it comes back in the fall. If it gets picked up, which I kind of doubt, then maybe I'll check back in. But for now, not not worth my time, especially with so many other entertaining comedies on television. Um, speaking of, I guess it's going to be a bit of a comedy block here because you didn't, ca I assume you didn't watch Community? Nope, I'm sticking to it. I'm not, I'm done with Community. I might watch the finale, but only if I really hate myself that morning. Well, that that's too bad for you because Pillows and Blankets was awesome. It was really funny. And, uh, it, I don't believe you. It was the Ken Burns style narration uh, of, or documentary style take to the pillow fight between uh, Troy and Abed's forces, which were Blanketburg and New Pillowton, I believe, were the, the, the two uh, areas of, of the campus. It was, it was really um, intelligently and entertainingly handled. I loved the, the narration from Keith David and the underscoring was perfect. Um, and I, but more than anything, I like the fact that they used the ridiculous situation to actually explore their characters and not just Troy and Abed, but, but, uh, but, but Annie and Shirley and Pierce and more than anything, Jeff. So hopefully these you know, movements in the characters that we see this week will continue through. Um, and, and, and that's the, really the tricky thing and the most interesting thing, um, about community when they are able to take these high concept ideas but then not make sure they don't lose the character within that. And I think they were very successful at that this week. So Community was, was I think, the best uh, comedy this week on television. Then it was followed by 30 Rock, Nothing Left to Lose, which was pretty good, um, but but not great. They uh, Bald Pete was pretty funny. He, uh, he shaved his head, but it did feel a little bit like a pale comparison to Stevie on Eastbound and Down because he still had his eyebrows. <laughs> Yeah, you really can't compete with that. Yeah, so you need to go. You need to go full Monty on that baldness, or it's not. It's just not as good. Yeah, and, and you know, if I hadn't seen Eastbound and Down, I'm sure it would have been more effective to me. But I did, and they <laughs> it they went crazier on Eastbound. So uh, the the thing with Tracy's sense of smell, you find out that uh, he uh, has had a a ring lodged in his nose since he was a child, and that's why he doesn't smell. And he can't smell anything. It gets taken out. It's very much, and by the end of the episode, it has to get put put back in. But of course, there's no real reason it has to get put back in. Liz could just use a different kind of hair product, which I won't really go into to explain how that, you know, functions. But uh, uh, I I don't know. I would have rather they didn't immediately undo the Tracy being able to smell thing. I think that could have made for a nice recurring gag for a while. Um, I didn't catch this because. I haven't slept, but uh, I last week we talked a little bit about how the theme of the episode was seemingly their own desperation. Mm -hmm. is, was there any more of that this week, or is there was that kind oh. of just a passing thing? No, there there was uh, because one of the the thing that sparked most of the plot lines was the self evaluations, and Jenna's storyline uh, was that she. She she answered hers honestly because she was drunk and popping pills at the time. So uh, her entire plot line was about eventually discovering that she is not the worst person that she knows, and you know isn't just a terrible waste of space that has no purpose. Uh, so yes, there was definitely some some desperation there this week. Hmm. I wonder how far they're going to push that whole thing. 
Well, well, I guess we'll see. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to see if they continue with that. Then on Thursday there was the pilot to Scandal, which is the new Shonda Rhimes, uh, new Sh- Shonda Rhimes series. This has a really strong cast, um, but unfortunately there's only so much they can do with the subject matter and the the writing that they're given. Um, for example, Carrie Washington is is great as the lead, though I do think she needs to eat a couple cheeseburgers because that was somewhat distracting to me. Um, and then, of course, we have Desmond, uh, you know, who uh, Henry Cusick, Cusick, uh, yeah, uh, who's a lot of fun, and just the entire supporting cast, I think, is is really strong. But it's one of those one of those pilots, one of those episodes, I should say, where you we find out that there's a closeted gay guy, and of course. He's conservative, and of course, he has a very clean-cut image. So the, all the straight people surrounded by him have to teach him that it's okay and that he he should uh, come out of the closet mm-hmm. because because it what they say is more important than his life, um, and he just needs to accept his you know that that he's gay and be okay with it and embrace it and. And on their timetable as well. So I'm getting really frustrated with that. And I, why aren't we past that yet? Yeah. You know, Shonda, if you're listening, I want to like your shows. I really do. And, you know, the first couple seasons of Grey's were okay. They were good. but They were okay. <laughs> but they were still patchy, let's be honest. But... Yeah, I don't know. Whenever I try to watch anything that she's done recently, including New Greys, I just can't do it for very long. I will say that there is a lot of uh, really fast-paced dialogue. I I wanted to like this pilot, and it's not bad. It's not a bad pilot. That's definitely you know something I should mention. Um, it there just there were too many little details in there that were frustrating for me, and it's not just that a plot about the you know the war hero who's actually gay but also the the main character's relationship with the president which is telegraphed a mile away uh the the fact that henry and cusick is proposing to his girlfriend and it's clear that one of the other people in the office is besotted with him or smitten as dj smooth would say uh and and so just some of these uh elements were just so heavily handled or Hand, so done with such a heavy hand, I should say. Ham-handed. That ham-fisted? Any of that. <laughs> uh, that that it was sort of frustrating for me. But maybe this is one where I can check in four episodes down the line, five episodes, you know, or maybe the season finale, and it will have found its footing and gotten a lot better. I do think that um, it's better than some of the other pilots we've seen this this season. Um, but we'll see whether or not it comes back next season. It didn't have great ratings for its premiere. Um, so not terrible. Not for me, but uh, maybe worth checking in on again. All right. Next up, we have our almost spotlight. We were thinking about spotlighting. We were thinking of spotlighting it. We didn't. Most improved from last week, I think, is Fringe. Everything in its right place. And this was the Lincoln the Lincoln Hour, basically. I have my yes. review up at sunonsite.org. I liked the episode a lot. What for you? What knocked it out of the spotlight? Um, I, I, it wasn't so much what it didn't do as what the spotlight show did, but we'll get to that later. I think. Well, here are some reasons it's better than last week. 
we didn't have a ridiculous porcupine army. That was nice. <laughs> yeah. We totally skipped that. I'm worried about getting back to it later. It seems like we kind of have to. So I'm not too excited about that. We spent the whole time in Earth 2 where everyone is, well, sorry, Earth 2 V2 or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, other universe, I think you call it. Or maybe yeah. that's what everyone call. I don't know. I don't follow <laughs> these things. Um, where everyone is more fun, except for Broyles. Because... Mm -hmm. Who's more evil? I know he's evil there, but he's pretty much the same in every other sense. And I, I, I do find it kind of amusing slash sad that his entire role, his entire role on Earth 1 and three quarters of it on Earth 2 is for him to tell people to do things and then for them to ignore them. Yeah. Uh, and I, I kind of feel bad for Lance Reddick. But anyway, <laughs> um, I mean, we get to spend pr almost the entire episode with Seth Gable, which is nice because especially after last week when he was stuck with that horrible horrible pining crap which was just so uh, just i don't know which i've personally found really painful uh, i found his interaction with folivia or other folivia or whatever to be <laughs> this is getting complicated to be way more interesting and uh, the case of the week was was perfectly adequate so i have they haven't it's been a while since they've had a really interesting freak of the week i think i but think it's the, steven root is the last time yeah, and that was, what, eight, nine weeks ago? That was in the fall, yeah. Yeah, so that's something we need to work on. But other than that, I thought it was uh, much improved. Yeah, I, I very much enjoyed uh, Lincoln getting away from all of the drama and the frustration of his side. And it seemed pretty clear to me early in the episode that Lincoln was going to, especially towards the towards the climax that uh Linklone, as i call him the other lincoln was was gonna die and lincoln was gonna stay over on the other side just because they don't have coffee but th otherwise things are much more fun there and he's not surrounded by his not any more friend who chose to the some other guy over maintaining her identity although kate if we're maintaining tv rules can i remind you of something we did not see Linklone die that is true. We only saw everyone react to his death, but you're right. No, we did we, not see his we body. We saw him get shot, and then we saw someone, we saw them hear that he was dead, but we didn't actually, no, no one that we know actually saw him die. No, no, no. We say. saw them react to finding out that he's dead. Yes, but they didn't but, see but it. But they didn't see it. That's true. It's, that's true. Um, so he may not be a goner. They might have turned him. They already brought him back from mostly dead once. I think he's dead. But you're right that we haven't seen the body, and this is a genre yeah. show. So Until I see the body, I don't believe it. Um, I, I do think the dynamic between uh, Lincoln and Folivia was a lot of fun. And it's nice to see, see him go, oh, this is what Olivia's like when she's not being angsty and drama-filled. And this is... This is just more fun, which is uh, yeah. pretty much our reaction to Folivia most of the time. Um, but I was a little disappointed in how how much Lincoln was defined by his relationship with Olivia and Folivia in this episode. It was an episode about Lincoln with a lot of Lincoln FaceTime, but I, it was frustrating to me how, you know, like I said, how how much of his time was him, you know, not pining after Olivia, but, but making googly eyes at Folivia. Mm -hmm. um the the strongest element for me was definitely all of the lincoln and linklone conversations yeah. and i loved that there isn't some huge difference in their backstory that makes them mm -hmm. so different personality wise but just the fact that linklone decided he was gonna be happy and gonna be cool 
and that was what made him be that way. Well, I I don't I don't know if I like that explanation, but I also don't. I really, really, really hope that we don't after whether he's dead or not. I hope that in the future we don't get some moment where we, where Lincoln realizes the exact moment where they changed because I I find that Fringe kind of does this where it finds the exact explanation for why people are different in one universe to the other and i find that kind of reductive and tiresome and i'm really hoping they don't do that this time and it seems like they aren't and that would make me very happy yeah i do think that there's a lot of truth to the notion that sometimes the difference between being happy and being depressed is choosing not always of course depression is a really serious um situation and and I know many, many people who have benefited strongly from getting the help that they need and talking to psychologists and psychiatrists and, and getting some antidepressant medication and, and such. Um, but sometimes if you're, you know, if, sometimes you just have to decide that you're going to react to the, what life hands you in a positive way. If And, and you're just going to decide to be happy because otherwise you're going to make yourself miserable. And I like that they have done both on the show that they've shown this is what Olivia would be like if she hadn't been experimented on as a child. But they've mm -hmm. also done in this case, this is, you know, it's not just fate. It's not just the circumstances in our life that make us who we are. It's also who we choose to be. And I think that was really yeah. well handled. How many fringes do we have left by the way? Maybe six. Let me, I, I, I'll, I'll find out here really quick. Yeah. We have six episodes left. All right. Well, I'm I'm curious to see where they're going to head from here. Hopefully, less porcupine army, more interdimensional intrigue. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's let's move on though to uh, the Magic City pilot, which is the new show for from Stars, the Year of the Finn. Um, this stars Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who I'm a big fan of. I loved him on Grey's Anatomy as Denny. I even enjoyed him as Ghost Denny, which was such a terrible plot line but he was I good remember in that it. oh my god ghost denny <laughs> anyways for me this is a very pretty show it's very uh well designed costumed structured but it's not interesting enough for me i don't think it plays to jeffrey uh, jeffrey dean morgan's strengths and i think that there's way too much uh time spent on characters such as his son who we're supposed we're supposed to care about his son meeting the girl of his dreams who just happens to be the wife of the mob boss that his dad is into some money for. Um, except that he spends the rest of the episode chasing tail. So why should this relationship be any different? I don't know. What, we're supposed to invest in some of these characters who are just not well written, not well acted. And so they don't command your attention or interest. At least for me, they didn't. So for me, while it's not bad it's not interesting enough to to stick with so maybe i'll check in down the line but for, for right now even i really enjoy olga what's her name olga korolenko korolenko i she was great in uh in, in quantum of solace she was one of the strengths of that of that film but she doesn't get that much to do she doesn't recognize that her dog has been replaced with a different dog 
Her dog dies, mm. and he buys a new that's not good poodle that looks the same. And the now the dog all of a sudden won't come when she calls and is growling at everyone. And she doesn't realize it's a different dog. It's hard to care about somebody who can't tell what their <laughs> beloved pet she just think that, is. She just different. thinks the dog is suddenly stupid. Or the something? dog is acting really strange. She says it a couple times <laughs> in, over the course of the pilot. It's just I'm not even that much of a dog person, and that's ridiculous to me. Um, so, so just things like that really um, mar what could be an interesting show, I think. But I'm sure there will be many people who will really enjoy it. Um, and and I, like I said, I do really enjoy Jeffrey Dean Morgan and and some of the other cast as well. So maybe this is one to check in with down the line. All right. Next up, we have the penultimate episode of Eastbound and Down. Yes, chapter 20. And they sw- they swapped out Lily Tomlin for Will Ferrell. Give you two guesses what I thought about this episode. Oh, come on. You know, you know I- I'm on record as not being the biggest Ashley Schaefer fan, but A, we didn't get that much of him this week. He was there for, what, five minutes? Yeah, and... but what an annoying five minutes. Oh, come on. But we also had Craig Robinson, which, who, come on. Yeah, Craig Robinson come was fantastic. On. He was really, he was a lot of fun. As soon as, uh, as soon as he, he, they had the black bikers and you heard him say uh, any, any, his first line of dialogue, which was so ridiculous, <laughs> you, I could tell yeah, it was, was Craig great. Robinson and it was such a fun idea to bring him back. I haven't even seen the episode where he lost his eye and I was very excited to have him back. So and and is they did burn Ashley Schaefer alive. So Yeah, we can pretty safely assume he's dead since there's only one episode left. But nothing in this episode I think would would not have improved if he had just been gone, just not in it. This would have Fair been enough. better. But episode. he's he's in like a sixth of the episode. Uh what what did you think of the non-Ashley Schaefer bits? I liked the rest of the episode. It was I, I, I like um, I like the newfound maturity of Kenny Powers. Uh, mm-hmm, so I, I look forward to his realization of his the error of his ways next week. Going back for Toby, uh, I think that'll be fun and and seeing uh, with where what they do with he and April next week it should be interesting. Mm-hmm. I I have to say I, I think. I think Danny McBride played the hell out of that out of that scene where it was a good scene pretending to hate Toby and he's just secret. He just can't hold back the fact that he just loves this kid. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought he was just fantastic. Well, and even just the the fact that he's going to get Craig Robinson a job back and then it takes about two seconds for for that to not happen was was pretty fun, too. Stevie worked (laughs) for me. I mean, the wig, the wig and the eyebrows. The wig and then the wig paste. Yeah. Was a wig glue or whatever was a great combo. And, you know, and there's just enough time left. I mean, there's one episode left, and that's just enough time for them to maybe screw with the works a little bit. I'm, I wouldn't put it past them to not give us a totally conventional ending, but we'll, we'll see. I'm very curious to see how they're going to close it off. Absolutely. It, I, I'm, I'm glad that I, that I jumped on board this season, uh, despite some of my initial, uh, fears i i was i very much enjoyed you spun it down next we had the amazing race and adam is still crushing us in the pool um oh yes i'm <laughs> even with my phantom points i'm still losing yeah no he's got 30 something i'm sitting at 22 maybe he, he might even be almost to 40 and dan is a strong second place uh, about 10 points down from adam and 10 points above anybody else um uh, I, I think that this episode was, uh, they had some interesting challenges. This was the episode where everybody decides to be a child 
and a squabbling yeah, one at that. <laughs> almost everyone. Mark and Bopper stay above the fray, although they they're always kind of childlike in their own way. Yeah, so delightfully childlike. Yes, and I'm, that's why I'm happy to have them as my as my pick. And uh, yeah, it was it was it got really catty, huh? and it doesn't seem yeah. like it's going to stop next week. No, because all the worst offenders are still are there. still there. Yeah. Although, can I just say that that Neri and Jamie are the most ineffective? Oh my agents god! <laughs> the fact that they don't back down when Art and JJ call them on the fact that they are clearly cops, you know. <laughs> It, it it makes complete sense that they would figure that out. And so they're like, uh, we just we just say things like undercover op and caseload, and that's just how we talk in kindergarten, where we're at. Oh you can god, believe what I, you I, want. I, I mean, do you really want to bring this up now? Oh my god! If anyone ever sent them on actual undercover work, how fast they'd be dead. Do you just their 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 faces when when Art and JJ say, "Yeah, you guys are not teachers." Just like clearly, they don't play poker, or at least they shouldn't. Yeah. And I'm sure you were annoyed when they were failing, and they were like, "Oh, we needed a man here." Oh my god! Uh. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is there. Is, I was reminded actually of this one. The have you seen Ninja Warrior? No. Oh, well, it's amazing, and you should check it out. But it's this obstacle course kind of show from Japan, and only there's different rounds, and only one woman has ever made it past the first round. And uh, she, and this was in the early years, uh, they eventually developed a, a separate woman's ninja warrior, which has a different, different plays to different strengths. But she just stood there trying to do the spider crawl thing, which is at the beginning of the second round, but she was too short, so she physically could not do it and so it was mm -hmm. she was a stunt woman she was a badass but there was nothing that she could physically do to be able to continue and so i i, I do understand you know when when you just you need somebody tall for some of these challenges yeah. I, I had expected it to be a non-elimination round but i gotta say i'm i was a little disappointed just because i'm ready for some of these people to go i was super disappointed yeah yeah i i would love to see especially Fingers crossed that our boys Mark and Bopper. I mean, I my pick is Art and JJ, but I still would love for Mark and Bopper to win. Um, I, I if assuming that the final three could somehow be um, Art and JJ, Mark and Bopper, and then I guess I'll give it to the uh, the Madison couple. I'm ready for us to get to that. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm yeah, and we're obviously very very ready for Rachel and Brandon to just. Yeah. Uh, preferably be eaten by wild animals uh, for about half of an episode. It just I, they, I'm ready for them to be gone. The divorcees as well, and the the federal agents too, just because they have not shown themselves to be particularly yeah. good at this. Yeah, but Rachel and Dave are fine by me. They 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 get mad at each other, but they're not so bad with everyone else. I, I gotta say my line, my takeaway line for the episode, besides um, Bopper, uh, no, Mark's uh, <laughs> comparison to all the other teams squabbling as children in a lunch line, which was so perfect. <laughs> uh, my, my, my other favorite line from the episode was Art and JJ setting up their campsite saying, this is why we're not here with our wives, <laughs> as they're surrounded by squabbling couples. Yeah, I, I like how... They're, they don't strike me as, like, good people, but they're still more likable compared to just all the squabbling. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're, they're made more likable by comparison, so 
definitely them, i guess <laughs> let's move on though to mad men and mystery date uh this is another one that for me could have been in the spotlight my the big takeaway is don is messed up um, what did you think of this episode I, i'm not sure if i liked it quite as much as you did i find so far this season Mad Men is in slightly less subtle mode than it is at its best, I think. It's it's kind of playing everything a little bit more blatantly than I like it to. It's sort of drawing all the associations we need for us. Everything in the episode, except I guess for Don's illness, is kind of tied in with these murders that are that are going on, which I've neglected to research, but I'm sure they're real. Yeah. Uh everything from the you know the copy room to what's going on with uh, with Don's daughter and 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 actually no it does end up being tied into Don's illness because his those images from that end up being tied into his dreams and I don't know it was all a little bit too schematic for me a little bit too neat uh, that being said there was definitely some good stuff I mean Peggy is still has been for a long time the superstar of this show. And I loved her interactions with Roger. Yeah. Uh, especially when she, just her initial reaction to him coming into her office when she's kind of drunk uh, was just fantastic. Yeah. Peggy got a lot of fun things to do this week. Her interactions with Dawn were Dawn, not Don, uh, which is, is still fun to me. Uh, were, were, were well handled and interesting. I like um, the, these, I feel like we haven't seen Peggy talk about her role in the workplace of having to 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 feel like she has to play down her femininity in in work. I, I feel like you can see that in the way that she dresses and handles herself. But I think this is the first time that she's addressed it. Maybe, uh, and of course we have her drinking like the boys, which is significant. I mean, mm -hmm. we've seen her be drunk before, but not really in the daytime at work. So that's kind of an interesting development. Uh, and I found her conversation with Don about sort of their respective status to be delightfully awkward. Because, uh -huh. uh, I don't know, it, it had that perfect air of like, I'm trying to be a good liberal right now. And just, it, it wasn't, it, it wasn't like horrendously false equivalency, but it was still kind of false equivalency. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, I think she... I, for me it didn't feel as as false if only because there there is there we remember the show when, when there was she was the only woman there who was not a uh a secretary and granted that that does that's not the same as the race issues going on in the country at the time but dawn is now the only african-american person there so there is a little bit i mean she can relate somewhat to the otherness of that i think I, yeah and I yeah, but she's she's towing a very fine line, and she knows it as yeah, she's saying it. That, and it, that's and true. you're kind of watching her realize that she knows it, and it's it's a very tricky scene. Well, and she wouldn't say that if she was sober either, which is yeah, clear. Which is the other thing. Yeah, I thought that that was actually probably my favorite scene, just for the sheer awkwardness. I will mention, of course, Joni, who uh, Christina Hendricks got a lot to do this week, and and I was really strong. I I love anything we get with Joan usually, and. Uh, I th I think I'm not the only one who uh, may have felt a bit of a yeah moment when uh, she kicked that asshole's uh, butt to the curb. You know what's funny is 
this is this was actually one of the first episodes. I mean, I don't know if we're going to see Greg again. Probably we will. Mm-hmm. But this was one of the only episodes where we got to see any redeeming side of him at all. Mm-hmm. And this also is the episode. I mean, he's just the you know the respect he shows for his for uh, for for black people, which other people aren't doing. Yeah, and just his he's still obviously a you know, an asshole, but. This is one of the first episodes and only ones where we get to see him not be a total dick to everyone. And it's also <laughs> the one where he gets kicked out. And I thought that, that was a nice duality for me because no matter how he's improved as a character, he doesn't make him any better for Joan. Yeah. Um, who is he not a dick to in this episode? I mean, the waiter? Uh, well, he's kind sorry. of a dick to the waiter. Well, but he had a point. I mean, like, he, you can see where... Uh, more than before you can see where he's coming from you can see that he has conviction and that he's at least developed some backbone and character in some respect or but i Maybe. think joan is right for calling him out how much of this is him having backbone and character and not wanting to leave these men behind and how much of it is him not being able to get certified here and not being able to be in charge of uh, of a surgical ward here and having that there and wanting to feel important and feel needed. Hey, even if, you know what, based on what he was before, even if it's that, it's still an improvement. I mean, he's still helping people out. And, you know, it's, I, I, I totally agree that Joni makes the right call in kicking him out because I don't think he's any good for her. Yeah. And he's Clearly. demonstrated that and, and she calls him out on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, anyway, I just thought that, I thought it was a nice duality that he shows just the, slightest shred of decency and constructiveness in his life but he's still it's still not good enough yeah yeah it's a it should be interesting to see this storyline Joni's situation over the course of the uh of the season where it goes from here and i hope that we don't see her getting back with roger because that would feel like backward movement for her but who knows that would be somewhat probably a realistic situation for her to find herself in but I, I she's well shot of of that guy and hopefully she'll be able to now move mm-hmm. forward that new copywriter could use some action yeah but i feel like they're sending him he's he's the male peggy yeah I she's know. not let's, joni let's would never go for the male peggy let's, let's do something different let's mix <laughs> it up uh next up well you of course were on the game of thrones cast this week as per usual mm-hmm. i had other stuff to do so i'll say if few quick words about uh the nightlands i also wrote a review so you can read that there and uh i sort of inadvertently got my two cents in on the show when i picked uh weezer's tired of sex (laughs) to close off the show there was way too much of it in that episode both in visual and uh dialogue form just way too puerile for me it just felt like they'd packed way too much of that into one episode where maybe it should have been a little bit more spread out over i don't know two episodes uh especially just the whole stannis sex scene on the map with yeah not with a fan the monopoly pieces was way too much um but you know there was some decent stuff especially with Tyrion, as per usual but i'm waiting for them to get past this sort of early sexy stage of the season <laughs> and get to the more interesting stuff like you said the sunnet side uh game of thrones podcast is, for this week is out it was myself michael waldman and then our guest was sean ingram from previously on and we had uh, a nice discussion there about 45 minutes uh, of of talk about this episode and you can find that in the televerse feed on itunes or at the website uh, sunnetside.org so let us know what you, what you think there's particularly some discussion if you're a book fan there's some discussion of 
George R. R. Martin in his um, re- treatment of his female characters. Uh, spoiler-free discussion, I will mention. So that I would mm-hmm. be, I would really be interested to get people's feedback on. But that uh, that's up at Sun of Sight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't believe. But although you did spoil that stuff about Princess Oolong, so yes, yes, we did. Maybe people should be warned about that. I have no idea what you're talking about. Go team! <laughs> then on Monday there was the Lost Girl season one finale, Bloodlines. And uh, they did a pretty good job with their with their season one finale, of course, because this is a Canadian series only now airing in the U.S. Next week will be the season two premiere. So there's no wait, which is which is nice. They did a good job of bringing elements together of the season long threads of the relationships um, of some of the uh, the elements to the show that have been more sort of teased. I was worried about their handling of trick, but I think they did a they've done a good job with it. And the reveals that we get this week really work. I look forward to seeing how the relationships pan out next season, especially given our developments with Dyson. Um I'm a little disappointed that uh Ifa is still alive. Um one of those the somebody falls down a long distance by the time they go down the stairs to to the body the body's gone one of those situations uh but uh other than that it was a a strong and interesting and fun finale um next we have how i met your mother's uh trilogy time we haven't checked in on how i met your mother very frequently recently what did you think of this episode well i i think himium is a show that often is only as good as its hook and himium is maybe the hookiest sitcom in the sense of it's it's very frequently based around this high concept idea, which it executes either well or badly. And I think this was a pretty decent hook that was executed fairly well. Uh, I mean, this whole idea of sort of characters as they envision themselves three, six, nine, twelve years in the future, I thought it was it was a nicely specific way to do a pretty general idea that sort of anyone can relate to. And of course, it, and it and it's always nice when these sort of future projections end with an actual plot point which is here we see uh josh radner with a kid at the end which as far as i know is news that's news having having not having sort of been patchily watching it lately and um yeah in general uh especially jason siegel i thought was just killing it this episode yeah there's a lot of uh there's a lot of good and a lot of fun to be had this week um i agree about the about how I met your mother being often it's uh, at its best when it has an interesting premise that it handles well. I thought that the their real time five minute chunks um, episode they did earlier this season did not work very well. It was a, a waste of its premise, but this time I think it uh, a similar um, as far as just being. Uh, chunks of of an episode in a given scene and then moving forward to the next chunk i thought that that structure worked a lot better here uh the and and again it's a similar thing to to me as with this episode this week's episode of community where you have this higher concept idea but they use it to to get you to a particular character beat with one of with one of the cast and in this case uh, on, on Community, that was Jeff, and How I Met Your Mother this week, it's Barney, um, at, at being the one who ha- reaches a new point or changes in some way based on this the this high concept idea. I, I like Becky Newton on the show. I think she does well. That's Quinn. So I look forward to seeing 
more of her. I still think they're going to end up with as Barney and Robin together. So I don't know. Maybe they're going to have it be one of those. You think he's marrying Quinn, but then the shock reveal at the end of the season is that he's actually marrying Robin. What What do you think about that? I prefer not to think about these things. <laughs> I, 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 I try not to think too much about sitcom relationships, which is why I'm sort of annoyed with happy endings at this point and pleasantly amused by new girl, which enjoys laying all its cards out. Um, which is, yeah, which, which of course, as you know, ended up being just a really tiresome thing for us with him, the way it draws these things out forever. So I'm just going to, I'll check in with it every once in a while and not get too invested in what it, how exactly it is they plan on stretching this out for another 17 years. Yeah. It, it's nice to finally assume. Maybe this is a mistake to assume, but I believe what we're supposed to infer from the ending is that in three years time, he's married with a kid. So that means that he's going to meet. At least we only have to wait three more seasons. Seriously. Uh, he's supposed to meet <laughs> the mother at the wedding at Barney's wedding and supposedly we're supposed to meet her in the finale or we should meet her not long after. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm assuming we meet her back at the finale and then meet her next and the, season. Yeah. Well, yeah. Depending on their casting, I guess. Um, but, but yeah, it's nice to find he'll be what at that point he'll be 37. Didn't they say the character was 34 uh, now? So at 37, he has a, baby which is for somebody yeah. who's been desperately looking for somebody to marry and settle down with for what mm -hmm. six years on the show now that's i mean well yeah unless she already has the baby unless she already has the baby that's true that's true um well, the, he stole the baby uh, let, let's move on i'm gonna go through the voice uh relatively quick quickly um we had the first results show and elimination as well as the second live performance round this week I, the single takeaway, biggest takeaway for me is that the judges are honest and I love it. Uh, there was more than one, um, situation this week where somebody just said, it's not that you're bad. It's that the other people are better. So I don't dislike you and I'm rooting for you and all of that, but you're not going to win this. And so to see that kind of honesty was so refreshing, especially after so many seasons of American Idol judges not having anything constructive to say. The the it was pretty surprising to me how um or maybe not surprising, interesting to me how completely unbalanced the teams were uh on the first uh, elimination round or result show where Blake's team there was clearly one person who was the correct person for him to save two people got a, uh, the america's votes locked in three people on each team and then of the three people left they all perform a song and the judge or their coach picks one person to go on to the next round and there was clearly only one choice for blake with christina's team they were far stronger um so that was actually somewhat of a of a contest that was interesting to watch. I look forward to seeing what happens, um, what happens tomorrow in the when CeeLo and Adam have to do the same uh, picking. But uh, there are only a few people at this point who just really need to be gone, and Aaron's one of them. And I assume she won't make it through to the next round. But um, yeah, I've been enjoying it. And anytime when you have a reality competition singing show or 
music show or anything like that where you have people willing to judges willing to be honest and um and, and genuine in their in their critiques that's something that i'm far more interested in so we'll see where where next the next results show goes and how these teams shape up next we had and finally we have smash understudy what do you think better or worse <laughs> than last week oh smash that depends on what you mean by better or worse <laughs> because for me i'm rooting for fiasco status and on that level smash is very disappointing to me right now to the, to the degree that i mean a lot of this week to me was just kind of boring like i mean we get a really good original number early on that's sung in totally by the men uh led by tom and that was great that was easily the highlight of the episode but a lot of the rest didn't really do much for me but not in an annoying way just in a dull way i mean everything with deborah messing and her son was just the pits and most of the stuff with Derek and uh, and Ivy was fairly useless as well. And I'm sorry, I really, really don't care about Dev and his inevitable office romance, which we're just waiting for. And it's yeah, we're just like we're. It's like someone's got the headband or the headband around you at the at the shooting gallery, and you're just waiting and waiting. And I don't know, they haven't got the bullet shipment yet, and it's just taking way too long. <laughs> we, just keep, we just have to get it over with. Yeah, the the. Dev storyline is frustrating in that thing that you mentioned at the top of the podcast about the only problem that is in their relationship right now is the fact that they aren't talking to each other and, and they're both no being sullen about it. There's no reason for them not to except that it manufactures drama and then allows them to tease whether or not Dev is going to have an affair and tea. I mean, it, it's really hard for Dev to be all self-righteous about um about Karen not telling him about the whole situation with Derek or her audition with Derek when he can't he hasn't told her about his not getting the job yeah it's not like either of them killed an infant be adults yeah this isn't this isn't big deal stuff well and they they're they've been living together you can, we assume for a while they're in a theoretically strong committed relationship this shouldn't be the stuff that messes them up yeah they're clearly not equipped for the universe. <laughs> I will say, though, that in the relationship drama sphere of things, I was far more interested in Tom's triangle-ish than I expected to be. What did you think of that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, just the, the whole scene of of Tom's boyfriend showing up and seeing that he's talking to a man and then won't bring them coffee anymore. Which, what is he going to do with the other coffee? Like, mm -hmm. really? <laughs> I, I don't know, little things like that really bug me. Uh, and, and I don't know, that's another thing that, you know, you're just waiting for him, for them to break up so that, you know, Tom and the other guy can hook up. You know, it, it's, they're almost deliberately going the most predictable path with every single plot line, and it's getting very tight. But, and, they, and they're doing it slowly, which yeah. is even worse. I like that there's some amount of fallout from Ivy's uh, drug-fueled fiasco. Uh, mm -hmm. at heaven on earth though it just makes that feel like a, a plot necessity at this point so the reason that she totally went off the deep end was so that she wouldn't be able to be cast as the understudy so that karen could be cast as the understudy so we could get that ridiculous fantasy sequence of uh karen oh, God. as marilyn i'm sorry but 
anyone who listens to Karen's Marilyn voice and then suddenly has a fantasy about her being Marilyn is insane. And I like Derek. I don't want to think of him as insane. So the, the show is doing the wrong thing with him right now. Well, and the, the other thing is that she wasn't talking in Marilyn's voice. It was what she was saying in her regular voice that that prompted him seeing her as Marilyn. And I don't know if that was supposed to be his, oh, she is hot, or maybe more of it, more of a, oh, this is a legitimate person who could be great as Marilyn. Mm -hmm. Except Except that that, she can't. Well, and except that he already said that. That was already an established (laughs) thing at the beginning of the series, at the beginning of the season, that they would both have very specific strengths to different aspects of the character. Um, but then again, yeah. they're also bringing in Uma Thurman or Rebecca Duvall, I guess, is the mm-hmm. character name to be Marilyn when she has absolutely no theater experience. It's ridiculous. Well, and they may play that realistically still. We'll see where that goes. I mean, realistically from here on out. Yeah. Not obviously not so far has it been realistic. But my last thing I want to mention is the whole sequence where Angelica Houston like sh- publicly shames. her. Oh, my God. Her- her, her yeah. like former investors yeah what a dick move well it's just idiotic and it would never happen that would never yeah. happen she's supposed to be savvy you never burn bridges like that because who knows maybe you don't need them now but you will very likely need them in the future yeah and es- they will tell all their friends the way you treated es- them especially when your current investor is probably on heroin yeah and is likely to pull out at the most uh plot contrivance uh time uh that that we can see i assume that'll be in season two. Oh god yeah anyway so yeah it's still not it's still not quite a fiasco level yet but now i'm not sure if it's going to get there because it's just too busy being just boring and annoying and i do want to emphasize though that as you said don't say yes until i finish talking was is really good it's a great yeah. musical number it was so much fun it had such energy and really works as far as the you know the the themes that we've seen them discuss and develop in in bombshell i guess is the name of the show within the show now um mm-hmm. so hey mark shyman and his partner are, are doing great work they can be really good oh uh, the, my last pet peeve will be this there is no way they would ever have karen stand there and sing a Marilyn song in the middle of their rehearsal when her function as the understudy is to help them with blocking to help them work on the other things that to to fill in for somebody else who is going to be playing that lead that lead character the only reason that that happened was that we could all stand and listen to her saying go oh isn't she so lovely and so that ivy could look in the door and feel jealous yeah, and remind me, isn't she like still singing the moment Uma Thurman shows up, which is also ridiculous? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah, she she had like just finished, and they had all plotted, and she had gotten the approving, you know, head nod, and you know, all of that from from Tom, yeah. just in time. Oh God, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's really just those little bits of goodness that are keeping us hanging on. I think if it wasn't yeah. for the goodness of some of the original numbers, I think we would have ditched it long ago. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and speaking of the goodness of the original numbers, we're going to take a break here go in, and go into our spotlight. But rather than featuring one of the songs from Awake this week, we're going to list- take a little listen to Don't Say Yes Until I Finish Talking. And uh, so we'll be right back after that. Gentlemen, take a memo. Today the trades are all aglow with grosses for our Miss Monroe. The things those vermin mustn't know is what she puts us through. 
She makes directors wait all day. One line per hour is all she'll say. And still she thinks we're gonna pay. She needs a talking to. Tomatoes like her must be put in their place. If she don't shape up soon, she'll soon be walking. Cause the buck stops with me. Yes, you're right. We agree. Uh, don't say yes until I finish talking. And that, as I said, was... Don't Say Yes Until I Finish Talking with the cast of Smash with Christian Borrell as Tom in the lead there. Uh, and it was such a fun number. But uh, to tra- transition, let's talk about our spotlight show this week, which is Awake. And That's Not My Penguin is the name of the episode. Such a, yeah, such a memorable episode, if only for the titular penguin. What did you think? Well, the thing about this episode and why it's in the spotlight is there was a penguin. Now, there's a little more to it than that, but mainly there was a penguin. Uh, the thing about spotlighting Awake this week is, as you will all know, anyone who's heard the show more than once, is I have a strong contrarian streak. And the people who are watching Awake seem to be enjoying it, but that's like two of you. So <laughs> so I, I, I kind of, I mean, its ratings weren't as bad as, say, Lux, and it kills significantly fewer horses, but... It, it doesn't seem like enough people are out there chattering about this show, and I'm not entirely sure why. Uh, maybe it's because they were concerned, as I was, that the show was going to end up being uh, too reliant on its high concept and maybe too miserablest just based on the fact of its subject matter. But actually, I think it's evolving in really interesting ways, and the addition this week of a little bit of absurd humor was, I think, extremely welcome, just given the heaviness of the material. And actually, on paper, I kind of thought this was going to be a really crap episode because just the whole setup of dealing with a mental patient who's got a hospital set to explode and he's got a dead man trigger. It's just everything about it is something you've seen before and just sounds like a recipe for disaster. And it actually turns out to be maybe the best episode yet. And we also get the reappearance of sort of the discussion of Michael's mental state not as, you know, a, a magical person in a sci-fi show, but just as a guy dealing with two realities, which is a complicated thing to do, especially when different people are alive and dead in them, and you have to keep track of it all. And especially with respect to the editing and the opening, I thought that was just fantastically well done. Yeah, it's 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 a really strong episode, and with aside from the absurdist, uh, or just the just the delightfully absurd image of a penguin just kind of hanging out in both both universes or both uh you know worlds that that uh, the main character is inhabiting the biggest thing for for this episode for me is we've really praised uh um we've really praised Laura Allen we've really praised Dylan Minnette who plays Rex the son we've liked uh the both of the shrinks the BD Wong and, and Cherry Jones but for me this episode lives and dies on Jason Isaacs. And I feel like maybe we've not given him the credit he deserves for such a strong central performance. That's mm-hmm. th- this episode is takes away all of those elements. I mean, we get a little bit with BD Wong um, as, as one of the, the psychologists or, or uh, psychiatrists. Um, he has a, a bigger role in this episode, but more than anything, it's Jason Isaacs with a guest star, which is Billy Lush as, as our bomber Gabriel, uh, why it's the third so it, as as great as these other characters are and these other performances are i feel like we should take a minute to really give uh jason isaacs his due and hello to jason isaacs as ever yes obviously 
hey, Jason, come on anytime. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's just been been great. I mean, it's not an easy part for sure. It's, I mean, it's not necessarily, he doesn't necessarily have the widest spectrum of emotion. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's generally one version of troubled or another, unless he's, you know, talking to his son or his wife. But he he has to process a lot at any given time. He has to seem like he's actively thinking about living in more than one plane at one time, which is a very tricky thing to do, and he does it with aplomb. Uh, I also want to point out that I, uh, another really nice addition this week, I mean, we've seen her before, but we get quite a bit more with Emma this week, who's played by Daniela Babadilla, and I really dig that character. I thought I think they're you know she could be this is just another example of the show doing things more interestingly than it has to mm-hmm. than, is, than it is than is required of it. She actually seems like a human being who yeah. you know Dylan might you can actually see what's appealing about her and she's not just you know some average teenage girl that who's nondescript. That was a nice touch. Well, just compare that relationship to, I don't know how much Law & Order you've seen. I've seen a lot of Law & Order. I enjoy my procedurals. Uh, I've seen but, a lot of Law & Order, but not recently. I was going to say, just compare that relationship to any of the characters' children's relationships on Law & Order, or probably more prominently Law & Order SVU, Stabler's mm-hmm. kids' relationships that pop up every now and again uh and this is so much more well conceived and executed and and so much more thought out i absolutely agree emma's a nice addition and just getting to see dylan minette play a wider spectrum of emotions not Mm -hmm. just the withdrawn teen that he is around his dad but also you know the happy teen trying to to process where he's at right now i think it works really well Mm -hmm. oh and this is a small thing, but I'm always happy when shows do this. The kids are boning. It's happening. <laughs> Done. No fuss. No moralizing. It's happening. Kids do it. Done. I like that. <laughs> well, and even just the uh, the way that that correlates to the the relationship that that Rex and his dad have when they're you know t- talking about honesty and openness and and this mm-hmm. the fact that it, it was such a nice way to to address the fact that Rex and his dad have never really had a close relationship or an open relationship. And they've been able Mm -hmm. to get away with that before because the mom always did the go-betweening and that, and so I've just seen so many shows do that plot point or that, that character moment so poorly or so blatantly. So it, it was, it was again, very, very well handled. And to bring it back to Jason Isaacs briefly, I do want to mention that yes, Michael may not be the most, dynamic character as far as range of emotions to that that he's expressing in a given scene but there it not everybody can lead can uh, can pilot for lack of a better word a, a police procedural there yeah. are there are so many failed police procedurals that don't get off the ground because the audience doesn't buy into the main character or doesn't care about the main character or that just the actor doesn't have the charisma and gravitas to draw in the show the audience and really lead the show and that's something that that Isaacs does incredibly well yeah and although while we're talking about characters and police or actors on in a sort of the police procedural part of the show yeah I think i speak for everyone when i say that i don't think wilmer valderrama is bad at all on the show as Mm -hmm. ephraim but i'm just way more interested in in in, and entertained by steve harris as isaiah yeah yeah steve harris is pretty great 
No, I, I actually, I enjoy Wilder uh, Valderrama on the show. I think he's done well, and uh, I kind of wish they'd give him more to do, but th- than just be the occasional spy-ish mm-hmm. on Michael. But, but I think we were worried about him being a huge thorn in the side of the show, which hasn't, he's or at least certainly I was. not. And, and no, that hasn't turned out to be the case at all, which is a nice surprise. Yeah. So, so I guess it's. I mean, I'm curious what you think right now. Uh, this. Obviously, Awake took over for the firm, which none of us, like nobody, liked. That was had that show had many problems, um, but it, it also shares this time slot with uh, with Prime Suspect, which was another incredibly well executed police procedural that got about half the season. It looks like Awake is very likely not going to return next season. I'm curious where you how you stack these two against each other. Well, they're very different. I mean, Awake is a much more ambitious show. I mean, it says something that they had to stop production, actually probably around the time of this episode or maybe slightly before, because they had to sit down and figure out just exactly what they were doing, because it's really really complicated. You've got a visual schema to worry about. You've got clarity and continuity to worry about, and not to mention if they even know where all this is going and if they're going to have time to get there. Um, whereas, you know, Prime Suspect was very much old school in the sense of only the lightest serialization possible and, you know, very episodic. Uh, so, I mean, Awake could be very rewarding if it, if it has time to go someplace. I mean, and hopefully they have an idea for the first season where it does get somewhere because I think that Kyle Killen's last show only got two episodes, so I think he... Must have a contingency plan. He's already doing better. He's already doing better. Maybe eventually, yeah. And and as someone who enjoys Awake, you really should watch those two episodes of Lone Star sometime. I like um, that cast. It it is it's it it was a a potentially theoretically great show, and I think Awake is the same way. I I hope it has at least the the time to get its first season out there, and hopefully. NBC is kind enough to give it a chance. I mean, I don't know how expensive well, it is. Well, let's be honest. Hopefully NBC is hard up enough to have to give it a chance. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's too bad Smash is doing well. Well. <laughs> but although it has a it has a great lead-in, so... It has a great fact... lead-in, and it's been dropping almost every week. Yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, NBC might be hard up enough to keep this around. I, I hope that's the case, but I, I'm not optimistic. But yeah. in any case, I hope people do check it out. It's despite the serialization, I think it's still a pretty easy show to drop in on. Yeah, I would agree. And they they make it really clear what's going on with uh, the potentially uh, confusing premise of the show. Yeah, and I mean the the intro even lays it all out for you, so it it yeah. really doesn't get any easier than that. It's not a difficult show to get a, a hold of, but I think it is doing some really interesting stuff right now. Yeah, absolutely. So a, a, a strong episode for Awake. I look forward to I believe we're just going to get the next, I want to say like five episodes uh, in a row week after week. So it should be fun to see where this season is going. I hear it gets pretty great by the end. So fingers crossed that mm-hmm. maybe it'll make it into our spotlight again. Next maybe. week, of course, we'll have the season finale of Justified, the series finale of Eastbound and Down. The uh, was it the Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment Twenty Three, as well as maybe a couple other pilots. Is you know is that in really there. what they're calling it? By the way, that's what they're calling it. Uh, God, all right. 
So there's a lot of there's a lot of of good and interesting TV coming next week. So we'll we'll uh, I look forward to talking about that with with you and to hearing what you guys are excited about and what what you uh, think of of the current TV landscape because there's a lot going on. Yes, there is. Just a few show notes. We have, uh, of course, our iTunes feeds, both an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 feed as well. And you, if you can leave us ratings and reviews in iTunes, we would, uh, we would love to to hear what you guys think of the show. And it really does help us out if uh, if we get ratings and and reviews. It helps people find us easier in in iTunes and hopefully can help us build our, our listener base. Uh, you can send email to theteleverse at gmail.com if you want to listen to the show, but our anti-iTunes, like I know some of our listeners are, you can stream the show at uh, Current, as well as soundonsite.org, where there will be a post-up. You can download the show there as well. Please leave us comments. Let us know uh, what, what you're thinking about these, some of these different episodes. Um, I'm what should our question of the week be for for listeners? What are we most interested to get their feedback on? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know what I'd like to know is out of the out of the show that's on our list, what's the show that people are most wondering? Why are you talking about this? I yeah, that that is uh, that would be interesting. I, I would love to hear what show you guys would most like us to cover that we're not covering, and what show you are most tired of hearing us talk about. And, I'm and, and I'd like to hear. I know and I know Smash is the obvious answer, so I'd like to hear answers other than Smash. <laughs> I'm kind of anticipating uh, people tired of my ramblings on The Voice, but I don't know. We'll 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 see. Uh, that yes, it's excellent question, Simon. So you can leave us comments there at soundonsite.org. Also, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse you are and i'm at sucker howl though currently right now i'm mostly just listing the symptoms of my fatigue oh good times and uh you'll be off traipsing uh through new york next week so i would assume less internet presence from you then uh maybe but we'll see we'll see so we're going to take a quick break listen to a clip and some the theme song from brass eye and then come back and talk with uh derek gladry from the sound of say doctor who podcast about this I, how do we describe it? It's not a mockumentary. It's a faux... It's, it's, doc- it's a fake news show fake that news. happens to predate every fake news show you've ever watched. And it's hilarious. If time's a drug, then Big Ben is a huge needle injecting it into the sky. But this is cake, the new killer drug from Prague. Last half, we heard about cake, and importantly, its dangers. Thirteen teenagers were trampled to death in a cow field at midnight taking this stuff and more importantly that it's a made-up drug cake is a made-up drug it's not made from plants it's made from chemicals by sick bastards but for maximum reach cake needed an actively political kick in the pills and that's what it got from mp david amis mp you've heard what bernard manning said Cake is a bisturbile cranabolic amphetamoid, which is a made-up psychoactive chemical.
We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, joined by Mr. Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD shelf, we are going across the pond, and we are happy to welcome Derek Gladue from the Sound On Sight Doctor Who podcast to talk Brass Eye with us. Derek, welcome to the show. Hello. So Brass Eye, tell me a little bit about the show and why it was your choice. I mean, it's just funny, for one thing. It's very, very funny, very intelligent. But I think that um, the main reason I like it so much is I look at it as a document. Uh, because in the late 90s, there was a, the perception that media was not doing its job to inform um, people. And it was resulting, it was, uh, it was falling back on sensationalistic and morally hysterical news items for ratings. But, you know, the power of satire being what it is, we've solved that problem. And that's why debate <laughs> is so informed and respectful in the 21st century. So <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is such a... I I, I want to say it's such a unique show, but there are clearly many shows that have come since that are very similar in tone and in, uh, I would say, in ideology. But for those who don't know, Brass Eye was a was a series of, uh, there's six episodes and then a special later, so seven episodes of mockumentary sort of investigative journalism uh, entries. So, so kind of like The Daily Show, but but a bit more uh, deadpan, shall we say, a bit more British. So, uh, yeah, it was so much fun to discover the show because I'd never even heard of it until you mentioned it. I, I think, actually, I'm not quite sure how I came across it. I think because um, Simon and I were reviewing um, Christopher Morris's Four Lions, which came out a couple of years ago, and we just sort of stumbled on the treasure tro trove, which is this guy's CV, basically. He did a lot of work on radio, um the is it the the day today something like that yeah, yeah that was his yeah, previous series yeah again very much in a similar tone but what makes this different is the use i, I guess sort of like the what what was done a lot in ali g where they would sort of um ambush people into getting them to say really really unbelievably ridiculous things like in in this uh this series, for example, they uh, they actually made uh, they made it all the way to Parliament trying to ban a drug that does not exist, uh, amongst other things. So, or uh, some of the animal rights stuff, which is uh, they just get these these otherwise very intelligent, very sincere people to say the most ridiculous things with a straight face. And I think I mean that this is why the show is uh, you know it pre it presages uh, the Daily Show and the Colbert Report and uh, even Ali G and, and I'd say something like the onion as well. It's just that it's, it takes ridiculous to its ultimate and logical extreme. Simon, what was your uh, relationship with the show? I assume that you and Derek, were, you know, as you had talked about with four lines, you were more familiar with it, but had you seen all of it before? Well, I, I, here's what I think happened. I, th I think I began to hear chatter about four lions because it was making the festival rounds and, and was drumming up a lot of support. And so I got interested in this Chris Morris character, which is when I read about Brass Eye and then I got, I got a hold of it. And ever since then, it's, it's sort of been a staple at the, uh, at the shop where we both work. We, we put it on every now and again, and uh, it's hard not to see the show as sort of prologue to, in some respects, the daily show. Although I think it's, I think Colbert is, is a closer kin just because, I mean, Chris Morris himself is the host of Brass Eye, and he also plays a bunch of other roles, including Ted Mall, 
who's probably one of my favorite uh, characters on the show, this sort of brash investigative reporter who does man on the street segments. And in the way that, in the way that Morris carries himself on the show where he's just, he's so imbued with self-confidence and so arrogant and so wrong, but so proudly wrong. uh, I see a closer affinity to Colbert even than to daily show. And this, I think it's worth mentioning also this originally aired in the, I should say the first series originally aired in 1997, which I think was two years before Stewart took over The Daily Show. And I don't know whether they were watching this, but it, it, it certainly feels prophetic in the way that we've come to appreciate fake news. Absolutely. I, uh, I do remember such a, a change in tone to The Daily Show when Stewart took over for, for Craig Kilborn. So I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, or, or if nothing else, people, you know, you know, there's something in the water. It was time for this sort of uh, commentary to start happening. And yeah, clearly with such great shows coming out of it, there's, uh, there's plenty to derive this sort of humor from. Do you guys have a favorite of these episodes? I mean, they're all pretty great. There's only seven to choose from. But, but Derek, let's go to you. Which, which one do you think works the best? Um, there's... There's, I don't know, like, I would have to say overall Pete Geddon, uh, if only because it caused such a, a storm of controversy. But I think that there's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of very good, uh, good ones in order, in, in sort of what the amount of trouble they caused. But, but Pete Geddon, the, the, the one that satirizes the media's coverage of, of pedophiles, uh, I think really, really took my breath away. It is so, hysterical i don't mean just like funny i mean it's morally shrieking it's it's concern for uh and it's it's fear of of everybody out there you know they literally say that the best way to protect kids is to put them in a stadium with an anti-pedophile device on them that's i mean it's just however ridiculous that is you can't help but uh, feel that there are people out there think yeah that's a really good idea (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> including Phil, including Phil Collins, they get Phil Collins to uh, to do a, a, a sort of like a, a segment where uh, I forget what the, uh, the 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 acronym for the organization was. Noah Fenk or something like that. Like <laughs> nonsense. The, 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 yeah, nonsense. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and the acronyms are so great. Like my, uh, it's like Gefastwisp. An organization against heavy electricity, <laughs> which which actually now has a Facebook page, I found out. So, uh, yeah, the Peter Geddon one was uh, was quite good, if only because uh, not only the hysteria, but they uh, they use the term uh, I don't they don't deserve punishment, they deserve gunishment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you're talking about which is your favorite episode, you have to think, okay. Well, uh, I have to separate that is from, you know, which episode does the best job punking its guests, which I would say probably that still goes to the drugs episode just for its whole parliamentary adventure. Uh, or do you go with which one's funniest or et cetera, et cetera. I think for my money, I mean, Animals, which is the first episode, was was the one that that made me realize that I was watching something special. I mean, right off the bat, I, th- I think actually the moment that it happens is, uh, Morris is detailing the, of course, completely fake history of animal-human relations, and he starts go- prattling off about the Egyptians, who apparently <laughs> modeled everything after after cats because quote they thought they were funny, and and I think at, at that point, especially with the with the pyramid visual gag, 
um, you know, I, I realized that this was totally up my alley. And uh, although I, I feel like it's worth mentioning, the drugs episode uh, aired. Uh, sorry, the 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 Pedo Geddon special aired four years after the rest of the series in two thousand one. And I think it's just such an indication of what a troll Morris is that he revived the show explicitly to do that. Just to you, you, you got the impression that he was scheming for years. What is the sh- what is the one topic I could do that would most upset people? And 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 he and he found it. I mean, this is the sort of guy who this is maybe more myth than than reality. But there's a story about from his radio days where supposedly he was working in an actual. Uh, radio newsroom and one night he filled he gradually filled the room with helium (laughs) yes i've heard this and just delighted in in listening to their voices rise and rise as they were trying to maintain seriousness and he he has this almost scholarly interest in in you know in you know in these voices of of power and these dialogues of power and and how they control information and but he manages to communicate these high-minded ideas in silly and very funny ways the thing that really gets me about Pettigeddon is uh, this, like you said, Simon, this this aired four years later. How were people not in on the joke at that point? Like, did no one do research when they asked him to be on the show? I mean, I just don't understand how that happens. Uh, never underestimate people's ability to take themselves very seriously. And, <laughs> you, you know, the thing is, is that I'm I'm not a geneticist, clearly. Uh, but if there is an irony gene... Uh, there are some people who just don't have it, and uh, it's it's really amazing. I mean, that's that's one of the powers of, of very good satire is that it takes an idea, um, a ridiculous idea, but a plausible one, to its its uh, illogical conclusion. And uh, I remember, and and people get upset. I mean, there's a difference between being provoking and thought provoking. But a couple of years back here in Montreal, there was an April Fool's joke on April Fools that they said that they were um, changing all the the sem- uh, the tombstones in the province to French so uh, which was a little a little sort of uh, jab at the 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 language policies here in in Quebec but they were going to make all the the tombstones French and all the names would be French and uh, and that got people so upset like how dare you bring this up? When actually they were just making a reference to like the possibility that there would that there is a draconian uh, language police uh, <laughs> in this province, so it's like who who are you to bring this up? Is so everybody uh, when they get upset about these sort of things, they're blaming the wrong person. They are you know they're uh, they're saying you're you're getting me upset because this is potentially real, as opposed to being upset about you know. Uh, the media's handling of uh, pedophiles or pedophilia, making fun of that is what gets people upset at. Uh, and so it's there There are just people out there who don't have any self-reflective gene or, uh, or understand irony. So I'm not really all that surprised that you get some pretty high-end people, politicians from both sides of, uh, uh, from labor and uh, conservative, that just make an ass of themselves. <laughs> well, and it can't help but remind you of the I would say the first few months of Stephen Colbert's show, wherein people, because they didn't really know who he was or what he was about, he had a window wherein he could get those gotcha moments. I mean, that wore off mm-hmm. over time, and now everyone, uh, I hope, uh, know, <laughs> knows who he is, and he's. You're never going to get another moment like the, like the White House press dinner, 
Ah, yes. Where, wherein, wherein he has this zeitgeist capturing gotcha moment that we can all enjoy in perpetuity. Um, the other thing about Brass Eye that, that's neat is, I mean, you, you, The Daily Show and Colbert, they, they put together a, usually a pretty solid show a few times a week, and that's really impressive. What's nice about Brass Eye, though, is because there's only seven episodes, they really get to, I mean, e- each episode's about a different subject, and they get to explore it thoroughly and just pack it way more full of gags than than they have time to do to to assemble on a on an average episode of Daily Show. I mean, if you look, for instance, at the at the drugs episode, just the opening reel where Morris is is talking about, uh, you know, there's sort of these this there's some clips and newspaper headlines and you know like Noel Gallagher's staircase made of gear and <laughs> and just they're they're packing in like it, it's there there are bits and pieces where it's literally like a, a gag every couple of seconds and if if you're not sharp you'll you'll miss a few and it's also worth noting there's like every possible kind of gag i mean you've got you've got you know obviously you've got crude humor you've got these absurd man on the street situations these fake documentary segments you've got visual gags you've got puns you have violence against women and children which is always funny uh i mean th- there's there's really just every every kind of i i can't imagine the sense of humor not appealing to someone unless as derek is saying they lack an irony gene yeah i i think that the thing that really stands out um uh, yeah other than the saying uh, last one on drugs is a homo uh <laughs> is is the the graphic uh design of the show because like the opening credits and the um the bridge between commercials is about 30 seconds long it's just like the credit sequence and it's so I every time I watch it I have I'm laughing because it's too long and it's too loud and it's and it's like um the the credit sequence is really like what the news would be if it was on meth it, it's you know it's like uh like uh it's a it's a big circle that that uh, merges into Christopher Morris's face but his eye then becomes a brass eye and then he becomes Leonardo's like the man you know like the that diagram and then it's it just it's craziness it's craziness and it's it's a real good send-up of uh you know what the news is now i guess and and again this is 15 years ago so uh the, the graphics are the thing that make me laugh the most there's also a lot of uh playing with duration just to see how uh especially when they get you know the ambush people and they say this is uh the music that uh, uh, a cake head lists uh, when they hear just a uh, a little bit but this is what goes on in their head and it's this long like minute long sequence where you see these politicians with a, a tape deck right in their face and this music <laughs> is blaring and they they really do play a lot with just the how far they can take something they really take advantage of the form of being able to cut around to to various different segments uh with just the simple through line of the episode like you're saying there the even the graphics the credits are are an element in the satire uh the the lighting the uh the i really enjoy actually the female reporter who comes in every now and again uh just the just the performances from from these comedians are so on on the money it very like Simon was saying earlier it is very reminiscent of Stephen Colbert and what he's doing on the rapport um but yeah I, I even just something in what is it decline I think when the question is whether everything in England is hunky-dory and a-okay or terrible and the the nation is spiring spiraling uh, never to recover every time they 
say a statement on one side, it's the lighting is lovely. And when they say a statement on the other side, there's this harsh green light that takes over everything. I just, it's, it's dense. Just to, I guess, reiterate what you were saying, Simon, it's, it's dense with humor in every level. And another way this show kind of presages Colbert, I would say is they don't, they never use the word, but there's a lot of truthiness on display. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I assume, Kate, you especially must have gotten a kick out of the show's use of graphs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course I did. They were so fun. I, I, I enjoyed the, what is it, a, a three, uh, an XY axis that then had a, a, a like another X axis at the end and then another Y axis, so just making a square where each side of the square was drugs. And so it became impossible to chart anything. <laughs> and I, I think there's one chart where it's like, if you plot drugs against users over time the chart begins to flash (laughs) (laughs) and sirens go off and they actually they that's actually part of the narration oh no no that's that's the animal ones where it says if you take uh the intelligence of man by intelligence of animal and Mm, put fox heads is something (laughs) very it's yeah yeah fun with graphs i think though that the the decline episode is is the best example of of what really lousy um like a current affair type program does though. When I was uh, rewatching this, uh, it just occurred to me how many fallacies are, are in proud display on this because that that's a fallacy of the false option. It's like, is it this or is it that? Or, and there's, there's no, uh, no medium in, you know, like this is sensationalistic for its own sake. And so I, 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 poly- I took out my old um, intro to philosophy uh, textbook and, there's a there were they listed uh, about four dozen types of fallacies, and I stopped counting what is on display in Brass Eye at around 25, <laughs> and it's there's there's just a lot of you know uh, not good thinking going on, and you know just like you know what what's going on in Fox I guess, but uh, it's just it's it's a great display of of bad thinking, and uh, e- even more I would say well or at least as much as that more so than any fake news that's come along since i think morris really delights in plunging into the surreal depths of each uh of each theme i i I think it's in the science episode where he they go on this strange tangent it's not even it's not even necessarily always all that funny it's just incredibly bizarre where they they start going on about um organ harvesting and how I mean, in one segment, a, a guy gives this very sober testimony about how he was made to grow hundreds <laughs> of lips on his stomach in yes. order to sell on the black market. Or or in one situation, um, a, a testicle has been harvested to grow to be the size of a baby, and it can't breathe because it has no mouth, and what a tragedy this is. <laughs> that, that's that's an example of bad science, whereas what they were advocating was good science. Uh, yeah, that that's yeah a lot of nonsense in that one. Well, of course, that reminds me very strongly of good AIDS versus bad AIDS in the sex episode, which is incredibly uh, entertaining. Um, I will say that I think for me, nothing quite tops cake in in the drugs episode. If like just the moment where they they get their presenters, their guests who've come in to talk about how cake is a made up drug. Which, of course, means that uh, it is made up from chemicals and it is not natural. That's why it's a made-up drug. Um, I just, I think I nearly died when I was watching that for the first time. It's, it, it, gets, just... it gets you check neck. 
And also in, in that episode, I mean, it opens with, there's a lot of gotcha moments, obviously, and then there's other stuff that I just choose to believe is real. Like, in the opening of that episode, Morris does this on-the-street segment where he's sort of shot surveillance style, where he's going up to what the show presents as a real drug dealer and just asking for a bunch of made-up drugs. Got any Clarky Cat? Clarky? <laughs> I don't have any Clarky Can. No, 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 no Clarky Cat. I just... I just want to get a little blue tea. <laughs> yeah, the language, the language, I mean, other than just being, you know, spot on is is so great because it, it still has the, the air of authority, but it's almost all made up like, a, like you know, he, he'll use the term deprivativity or uh, when uh, a pedophile is, uh, you know, the victim of a non-spashing, he's, he got quadraspazzed on a life glug. Like, you know, you know, there's such an authority, but the, there's there's also like a real play with uh, uh, non non sequiturs. Yeah, like Clockwork Orange esque, almost even. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we are running out of time, but uh, any final thoughts at, on Brass Eye? Other than, of course, people should check it out. Derek. Yeah, I, I'm just because I think if we go on, we're just going to devolve into our, our favorite catchphrases. Uh, so if you want to know what quadraspaz on a life glug means, it's actually available in North America on DVD. It was released, so uh, I'd really highly recommend it. There's also a few segments that are uh, on YouTube if you just want to see if you want to wet your whistle and make sure that this is uh, the right fit for you. Uh, Simon? Yeah, I mean it's it's an amazing series. Uh it's and I I it's not just important. I mean there's a lot of shows that are important but aren't necessarily all that great. This show is I think important and also incredibly entertaining, so it it fulfills both roles and it's also a good gateway into the world of Chris Morris in general. I mean I I think we're doing a future DVD shelf about another show he was involved in called Nathan Barley which explores, I would say, a different set of concerns, but kind of similar as well. Four Lions is interesting as well, although I would say not quite as good as his TV work. His radio stuff is interesting. The day-to-day -day is interesting, kind of a proto-brass eye. I mean, the, the guy is just uh, really, uh, really fascinating. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's it's funny. Uh, like Derek said, most of it, I think actually all of it, you can find on YouTube, though we would recommend you get the DVDs as well and give a little support. Uh, speak with your pocketbook about the kind of programming we want uh, to be made. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just, it's really funny. And like we were saying, it's only seven episodes, so you can knock that out in a day if you have a Saturday off or something. And and you will, frankly. And you won't regret it either. It's a hilarious show. Um, Derek, thank you so much for coming on. Where can our listeners find you? Well, I'm uh, with the Sound on Sight Doctor Who podcast, so you could always drop us by. And occasionally I make a nuisance of myself as a co-host on the show as well, the, uh, the, uh, the main radio podcast of Sound on Sight. Excellent. So thank you so much for coming on and everybody go check out Brass Eye. We uh, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse.
Good times. You have to let... I say good times too much. I'm trying to stop that. <laughs> when you start editing, you notice these things. I said it like five times over the course of the Game of Thrones podcast. Okay. You hate your legs. That's good times. Damn it. You hate your legs. 